Welcome to our 66th episode of Breaking Bread with C. My name is Celeste Mundu. I am your host on this podcast. Last time I spoke about our High Priest Jesus Christ, who's in touch with every humanly possible feeling we may have. And I just want you to be encouraged to go back and listen to that episode in case you have not listened to it, in case you have not finished it, in case you've not heard about it yet, because it's such a comforting and embalming message to come to the realization of the fact that you're not wasting time when you're praying to God during your hard moments, but also during your joyful moments, because Jesus took on body he took on flesh and blood to come and be able to relate with us in that in that episode i talked about how it's hard to speak to people about an experience they've not they've not had or they've never had right and it's also hard for people to relate to an experience they've not had or to empathize with you because what you're sharing is very foreign to them So that is not the case with Jesus. Jesus experienced all these emotions. He experienced all these feelings. He experienced hurt. He experienced betrayal. He experienced gossip. He experienced rejection. He experienced all these things. But the Bible tells us that he did not sin. It's not because of any supernatural powers. It's not because he was fully God and fully man, but he wanted to show us that it's actually possible. So you need to understand that when he says, it's better for me to be outside of this body and be with the Father, because then you will be enabled to receive my spirit, the same spirit that enabled me to go through everything you're going through and not seen right the bible tells us to be absent from the body is to be present with the lord so for every believer who's absent from the body they are with the lord but the the this we we are like spirits with souls in a body God is also spirit. So this spirit, to be able to function, Jesus needed to return. Jesus needed to exit the physical body so that now his spirit can come into the bodies of him who believes him, they who believe him. So now we operate with that spirit as believers. When we've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, we operate by that. We speak from that spirit. We we move in that spirit. That's why you will hear uh, many people talk about believers or born-again people as if they're acting crazy. And that's our conversation today in episode 66. So stick around. It's going to be a very exciting conversation. I myself am so excited because as I was putting this together, it's something that the Lord has been teaching me over a couple last years. I mean, a couple years, and it's just been such a delight to exercise myself in this. So I don't come to share with you things that are foreign to me. Most times the Lord won't release me to share anything until I've been tested and proven about it. And it's like, now I have qualified you to share this. I have allowed you to share this um yeah so i just want to thank you if you are part of the people that share the episodes that engage 
and it meant it's just amazing to hear um, some testimonies that somehow God makes it possible to turn around and find me in in a, in a foreign place or meeting somebody I've never met and somehow one of you shared the podcast and one of the funniest things I ever hear is like oh my god so this is how you speak in real life so I'm like what do you mean <laughs> anyway so today the spirit relieves me to share on some of the attributes of love which every believer should exercise themselves to possess but by the grace of God to even master it's not impossible and I want to set the ground for this conversation by defining the kind of love that I am talking about then we can proceed to the attributes and the fruits of this kind of love I'm talking about so if you just want to write notes or put it on the side it's still going to be in the title and the bio of the episode but this one is called love constraints and it's from second corinthians chapter 5 verse 14 uh, the King James Version is the one that puts it better, talking about love constraints. But um, we're just going to bring it to the simpler versions in the NLT, and we're going to break it down and walk this journey together. So stick around and enjoy yourself. So I've once explained the four kinds of love that are felt in a lifetime, and that is storge, which is the love that parents feel towards children for those who have them. And there's eros, which is the love between spouses. And we have phileo, which is the brotherly and platonic and friendly love that you feel for your brothers and sisters or brothers and sisters in Christ or your friends. These people that are really close to your heart, but not to an extreme of being a spouse to you or an extreme of the way you love your parents or an extreme of the way you love God. It's just somewhere there in the middle, still meaningful, still uh, hurtful if they do anything out of order. And finally, the agape, which is sacrificial, which is benevolent, which is good willing, which is an unconditional kind of love that can only be inspired by God. So in, in even in our conversation today, our emphasis is going to be on agape. That is the focus that we're going to, to, to be on tonight. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul explains what our new bodies in heaven will look like. But he also talks about what we ought to do while we're still present in the physical body here on earth. He teaches us in verse 6 that even in our earthly bodies, we're not at home with the Lord. Again, like I said, when Jesus said, it is better for you that I may return. Because if I'm absent from this body, I have less limitations and I can reach more of you as opposed to just being here, um, hanging out with y'all but not being able to empower you to do exactly what I need you to do or what I expect from you as the one who's leading this sheep. And uh, Paul takes us through this experience where he shares on um, he shares with us that this body, despite of still being of still being in the physical presence of it, despite of still um being in a body that is able to sin it's not enough reason for us to continue doing so 
So Paul teaches us in verse 6 that even if our bodies are not at home with the Lord yet, our major goal is still to please him regardless of if we're in heaven or if we're on earth, it's still the same purpose. It's still the same thing that God is calling us for to please him. Now, this brings me down to verse 11, where Paul continues to explain our fearful, and by fearful, I mean our reverent responsibility towards God. He introduces the concept of being in the role of an ambassador of Christ. So when you're born again, you become an ambassador of Christ. An ambassador by definition is an accredited diplomat sent by a country as its official representative to another country, to a foreign country. Or if we get out of the context of politics, it's a person who acts as a representative or a promoter of a specified activity. So some of you who are Rwandans know this saying that goes and that is of course talking about um, women even in our culture how one woman can make one mistake and then it's going to be credited to all the other women I don't believe it's only about the women because there are people who have gotten into um, toxic relationships for example and their experience with that man or with that woman becomes the defining mark of how they view relationships going forward regardless of not having tested all the women or all the men who are in the world i mean we are counting billions present in the world but it becomes the defining experience because of the memory the muscle memory the emotional memory the pain and the 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 way they have responded to that experience okay and so Paul is saying that we become ambassadors. So if the ambassador does anything inappropriate in a foreign land, the locals have the right to attribute the, the ambassador's deeds to the country this individual represents, even if it might not necessarily be a common belief or a behavior, whether it's a good one or a bad one. So that is why as believers, one man's misbehavior towards an unbeliever can misrepresent the body of Christ. Christ as a whole or exalt it above reproach all thanks to one individual's conduct. So for example, as a believer, there are things that I can do in the sight of an unbeliever and they won't even want anything to do with this Christ at all. But there's also a conduct that I can have towards them and it would somehow fix or or place a demand on them to want to understand uh, what, why are you being kind to me? You don't know me. Why are you advising me in this way? Why are you taking time out of your busy schedule to have some coffee with me and listen to me ranting when I'm not paying you for it? Or I, I like you really have no reason to be doing this, right? And if you're intention is driven by exercising yourself to what the Lord impresses on us through scripture, through our intimate relationship with him, then this person will be like, truly Christians are kind or Christians um, have good wise advice or Christians 
in, encourage you to do the different thing from your natural response, right? So he touches the appearance that we might have in verse 13, that some people may judge our acts of faith as crazy. And I think it's very common amongst us. You are familiar with this, where people will tell you that born again people act crazy. It's because they can't understand it. They it it, de- it depends on the on the on the on the eyes or on the perspective from where they're coming from, right? So they may judge your acts of faith as crazy or sober based on what or who their hearts are submitted to. And he ends in verse 14, but either way, love controls us. And this is where I wish to lay the 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 emphasis of our conversation today right love controls us agape controls us remember the definition that i gave of agape in the beginning right it's a sacrificial it's benevolent it's good willing it's unconditional highlight that it's unconditional and it can only be inspired by god think of it this way there's one article on the on the cost of forgiveness. You can go back to the website and look it up. The cost of forgiveness is when I was writing that article, the Lord started to show me the 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 process that went into um, the genocide against the Tutsi in 1994 in Rwanda, right? The Lord started to show me the process through which people went through. The 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 spiritual and and heartfelt exercise of their emotions for survivors to forgive those people. Now, many people might not even understand that. Some of them might not even have been Christian, but there is no way you can convince me that God did not intervene in the history of our country to be able to reconcile the irreconcilable, to be able to accomplish something that 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 no flesh, no man could be able to do if they choose to act in their own uh, understanding or desire. Now, no one forces you to forgive. It has to be a benevolent act. It has to be an unconditional act. And I love the speech that the president gave on one of the anniversaries of, 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 of the Quibuca. And he said, the survivors were the only ones left with something to give. That was such a powerful statement because if somebody has killed your family and now they are in jail they're already dealing with the guilt they're already dealing with the shame they're already outside of their animosity and now looking at things and some of them genuinely cannot even believe they went that low so they have nothing else left to give like some of them would rather even stay behind bars because they can't fathom coming back to a society where they'll be referred to as murderers they can't think of coming back into a society where they will face the people to whom they did such a tragic act so in reality they don't have much to give some of course will be hardened in their hearts still 
and feel justified or still carry some kind of animosity in their hearts that led them to do that in the first place but still they won't have anything to give so truly as the president said it the people on the other side those who have been wronged are the one who still had anything to give and that was forgiveness and so i believe the lord intervened in such a fashion in the history of our country that no man can take credit for whether you're a believer or you're not there is a softening a control of the heart of a man that enables one to say i forgive but they don't lord it over you because again nobody forces you to believe you can say it and not minute it's still not valid you can say it and actually minute nothing demands that you you feed this person or you put clothes on their back but if there is that conviction in your heart and you meant that forgiveness because you were driven to do it then even feeding them and putting clothes on their back shouldn't be so hard when you have already done the biggest part which is to forgive so when paul says in verse 14 that love controls us or love constrains us in the way we say it it means that agape that love that is inspired by god that heart that has been reconciled to god that heart that has submitted completely to the will of god and allowed to put to death its own will becomes a heart that is controlled by the same love that is at work in god himself that drove him to take his only son and give him for death now a person who has a child cannot imagine even a peppercot happening to their baby but god tells you my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways when you are holding on to this child as if i'm not the one who gave him to you not that god is telling us to put our children to death don't get me wrong but my thought is that i give my one and only son for a temporary pain for a temporary excruciating pain while at it a shameful death a, a scorning a mocking i will give him i will strip him of the majesty that is on him just so that i can be able to get everybody in into this plan of redemption so if my sacrifice as a parent i'm thinking this is in the place of god if my sacrifice as a parent is to give my one and only son so that i can reconcile the whole of humanity to myself and on the other hand the human person with four children cannot fathom losing one of them then indeed his thoughts are not our thoughts So this kind of love that makes you act besides yourself this kind of love that drives you to do an action that you cannot merely explain with your mouth or with your mind or with logic or with science this kind of love now controls us I'll give you some examples of how it controls us The Bible tells us be angry but sin not So The Bible validates that 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 feeling of anger, right? Because it's an emotion like his joy, like his when you just tear up and you're watching a nice movie and then there's all this mushy mushy things happening and then you start crying. It's all emotion. 
God gave us anger so that it could drive us to act in the right direction. If you that's what Christians now call righteous anger, but of course there's anger that's going to drive you to do crazy things. But the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26, be angry yet do not sin, and do not let the sun set upon your anger. So if you have to be angry and pray about a situation, do so. If you have to be angry towards your spouse, make sure you talk about that before the sun goes down. Even if the tensions are still so high that you cannot have that conversation in that moment because you might speak beside yourself, that is still a kind of control from this love that is supernatural. So instead of sleeping on that grudge, let it be known that when you have found the words to speak about what is going on in your world at that moment or how they made you feel or how the altercation you both had made you feel, talk about a date when you will. So I'll give myself as an example. When I feel angry, when I have an emotion of anger, I prefer not to speak. Because in the past, before I received Christ as my Lord and Savior, and he started to rearrange some things in my heart, every time I was angry, my tongue became like a sword. My tongue became like a blade that was going to cut you open. I realized that in my anger, I would say things that would destroy you without me even touching you. And you know what is ironic is I regretted it in the end. But then pride goes before a fall. As I would regret it in the end, there was also no other love in me to control me, to drive me to put my pride down and come back to you and apologize. So now the wound that has been inflicted will only grow from there. It will never become a scar, right? Because my pride was not going to allow me to apologize after I begin to regret the thing that I have spoken. So as a new person in Christ, which I will get to a little later in verse 17 onwards, as a new born again person in Christ. Those are some of the things that God revealed to me and dealt with. Now, do, will I tell you it's 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 easy? Absolutely not. Will I tell you it's enjoyable to sit in the face of an injustice that's being committed to you and keep quiet? It's not. Will I tell you that it's easy to just, you know, remain constrained when you have all the right points to touch on even if you do not cut people open with your tongue but you have the right explanation to give you can defend yourself but you choose to keep quiet if the love of God restrains you to do so if the love of God exalts you to do so right so the love of God constrains us to be beside ourselves to do something that is out of what we can name ordinary. The love of God is the same thing that is going to drive a certain addiction from you. It's the same thing that says, I'm going to act beside myself. I want this cigarette, but there is a love that has grown in me that makes me feel a kind of guilt or a kind of shame or a kind of 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 um 
taboo in my heart that if I do this, I'm not doing it just to please an instant moment or desire. If I do this, I'm not the one paying the price of my lungs uh, going down a very dark alley where um, I would need a transplant or I will die. If I do this, I feel like I'm hurting somebody else in the process right so many people you'll see you'll you'll hear many people especially non-believers or believers who are not yet properly sanctified or who have no fear of god reigning in their hearts they'll tell you as long as i'm not harming anybody what's your business what's your problem why are you telling me not to do this or that their key phrase is as long as it doesn't harm anybody but once agape has grown on you once agape has become the underlying blanket under your heart under your thought under your thought process you begin to realize that there is another person you're hurting and that is right because christ becomes one with us So Paul proceeds to explain even in verse 14, either way, I'm reading from the NLT, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for everyone, we also believe that we too have died to our own life. So let me paint this for you. Christ died for us, okay? And he went back to heaven. In his going back to heaven, it was so that his spirit could be released from the limitation of the earthly body and then now come and inhabit everyone who confesses him. Now remember, this spirit is able to multiply itself because now he's not in the body, right? That's why my prayer can be answered in the U.S. and then somebody's prayer in China is being answered at the same time. Somebody in Lagos, somebody in Kigali, somebody in Kampala, somebody in Nairobi, their prayer is being answered simultaneously. God doesn't need to come to me first and then take a trip to Kenya and then take a trip to Istanbul to answer somebody. No, he's attending to all of us one-on-one according to our different needs because he's a spirit and therefore has that liberty to move among the among its people, within its people. So Paul says, Christ's love controls us because we believe he died for all. Now, because we believe he died for all, he in in that all you are also part of it you're also part of the people he died for now because he died for all including you and me then he became to inhabit the hearts of those who believe he died for everyone that we now interact with so paul goes on to say he died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves you can put as themselves if you want so now you realize that when you smoke that cigarette when you drink that alcohol when you have that outside of wedding sex intercourse you are doing it against somebody else will That's why I tell people, get to a point that you are so intimate with God that you will ask him even the mundane things of your day. Lord, can I put nail polish on my hands? Lord, can I cut my hair? Lord, can I eat this? Lord, can I drink this? Lord, can I buy this cloth? It might sound crazy, 
But it's possible to live such a life because if you truly, truly believe that you've become one with him, then it would be unfair to have him do things without consulting him too, right? So this old nature of ours where our excuses as long as it doesn't harm anybody, the person is right. Because Christ does not inhabit them if they don't believe him. So he is right or she is right to say he doesn't harm anybody else except myself. But now that you belong to Christ, it's not just you anymore. It's like a wife married to a certain husband will not volunteer him to take part of something before asking him. So for example, I met my friend who's married. And then I'm like, you and your husband should come home for lunch on Sunday. And maybe my friend does not know if their husband made other plans that involve him alone or involve both of them on that Sunday that I'm inviting them. So they're like, I'll get home and first um, speak to uh, Dennis, random name, and speak to Dennis, then I'll confirm with you if we can come on Sunday. That is the right order, right? She's not going to volunteer her husband, Dennis, just because she's the wife. Now, many people make such errors, and then once they get home, they have conflicting plans. And now one of you has to counsel because you did not consult them before because another person's will is involved. So the same is with living our lives for Jesus. If you decide to attend a certain event when you are a carrier of the person of Jesus Christ because you believe in him, the least you can do is ask Jesus if he too wants to go. That's why Paul says, I am not my own anymore. I am not my own because there is another to whom I have surrendered my rights, to whom I have surrendered my desires. (laughs) That can sound very beside yourself for an unbeliever. It can sound very diminishing or in this society that we live in, everything is about self-care, self, 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 you name it, right? But When we have received that Christ, we cannot act like we have not. We cannot behave as though we have not. So in Galatians 2.20, I I just wanted to go there to make that emphasis. Paul says that we live this life by faith, right? The life I live now in the flesh, I live it by faith. What is by faith? It's inviting this person of Jesus Christ to make the decisions with me because I understand that it's not just me anymore. It doesn't harm anybody. It's not that it doesn't harm anybody anymore because it's not just me anymore. The life I now live in the flesh, I live it by faith in the Son of God. Now, I live it by... I once explained how we talk... Most translations say, I live it by faith of the Son of God, right? It's the faith of Jesus Christ because it is Him who acts in us. It is Him who causes us to go beside ourselves. It is Him who enables us to do that thing our fleshly nature would not want. I mean, who doesn't want to have a good argument? Especially if they're sure they're going to win. But... 
arguments only bring strife arguments only make room for sin there's a passage that says when words are many sin is unavoidable i'll find it for you and put it in the in the in the bio when words are many sin is unavoidable because when you are speaking out of a heart that is not tamed by christ it's inevitable that you're going to say something you're going to regret later it's inevitable that you're going to say something that might hurt the other person even if they won't tell you in the moment so love constrains us that way. So he died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. You invite him on this ride in everything that you do. Lord, do you want me to drive to this place? Lord, do you want me to attend this church today? Lord, what is on your agenda today? If you live outside of time, if you control this time and I have the privilege to host you. Child, I don't know about you. I really don't know about you, but personally, if I knew, it's like having an ATM of money at home that never runs out of money. Would you have any problem about going home all the time in the middle of the day just to swipe and then get your money? Absolutely not. So if I have the author of time, who lives outside of time, who sees the beginning from the end, who starts things and finishes them, who speaks a word and sees to it to complete. Why wouldn't I want him to give me his opinion first? Because my end is guaranteed. That's why we say that Christians, when you believe, you truly are praying from victory. You might have those steps to go through. You might have that person to submit to. You might have that boss who is hard on you, but whom you have to submit to because all authority is given by God. Okay? They're in that position. You're not because of a reason. Okay? But that process does not remove that your end is good. That process does not remove that your end is victorious because you are handling the situation with the one who has the final say. So that's what it means to have Christ walk with us, live with us, decide for us. Now, I always tell people this is going to sound crazy to the person who doesn't believe or who doesn't want to exercise themselves to that point. But ever since I received Christ, many things in my life are never a coincidence. Somehow I have a sense that something is going to happen. I might not have the language for it. I might not know exactly how or the details in which it's going to happen, but it's never a coincidence. Sometimes I'll just wake up and then a thought crosses my mind. I think about somebody and that happens to be the day that this person texts me or calls me. I I just I just end up seeing things. Sometimes I'll have a random vision of a billboard on on a particular road and then I'll pass by there and somehow see it. And I don't remember seeing it another day or even if I saw it, it was stored somewhere in my memory but I never paid attention to it. And God wants me to see something when I look at it. I'm telling you, when you walk with God day to day, when you allow him to help you make those decisions, when you allow him to walk this journey with him, it it becomes innate. You you don't force it. Somehow things begin to make sense. Sometimes this love restrains you like you get a good job offer, but something in you tells you don't take it. 
there is a reason why people will look at you and think you're crazy. Because if you tell somebody who doesn't have that sovereignty of God in their life and you tell them, look, I'm being paid this X amount of money and these are the benefits. I'm getting this insurance. I'm getting this uh, this um, retirement plan. If I take this job, what do you think? They're going to be like, are you crazy? Even if you don't like doing it, just go for it because the benefits look nice. But God is telling you, I don't want you to do it, but you still have a will. You still have the decision to make. You still have to be willing to walk with me and trust me. And this is what drives us to turn down these jobs. This is what drives us to turn down certain opportunities. Even if you see, they seem well. And in the end, something will happen. That organization will go bankrupt or they will start laying off people seven to six months. Now, if someone is looking at those seven to six months, remember prior goes before home, they won't be like, Celeste is crazy for turning down this job. Look at how this company is, 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 is flourishing. And that's, those are the rewards of Satan. He will try to parade everything in front of you to prove you that you were wrong. But he doesn't fight long. My father in the Lord loved to say this sentence that Satan fights. He fights hard, but he doesn't fight long. That's why James tells us, resist the devil and he will flee from you. But let's not go there. That's going to be a whole other podcast on its own. Let's try to wrap it up. So Paul says, instead, they live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. Now, remember, if you have put to death or you are acting beside yourself, you are acting besides everything logic and who you are and who you think you should be and the things you think you should do, you are putting this on the side and you're saying, Jesus, what do you want us to do? I'm only a body that carries the spirit who gives me instruction, right? So now you stop evaluating others from that human point of view as well remember that when christ came people were like isn't this the son of joseph and mary the carpenter isn't this the brother of judas and jose and 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 whatever and james isn't it aren't his sisters among us you see they looked at him from a point of view because he came naturally he was born and raised in a family so they looked at him like that right so at one point we thought of christ from a point of view and we were wrong we were wrong so he says how differently we know him now we realize he was not merely human he was fully god right so now this means that anyone who belongs to christ has also received these new eyes this new heart this new brain this new logic this new um belief this new thing that drives their decision you know some parents make certain decisions because of their kids a parent who has all four kids who are fully functional who have no disability who have everything going well will make different decisions from a parent who has a disabled child who has a child with special needs because of a mental situation or a physical situation that doesn't allow them so they'll plan holidays differently they'll be their house differently they'll have a car that can accommodate the disabled child they have to always factor in that child because they're not going to put that child anywhere else 
versus the parents who have all four kids doing okay. If I leave one behind, they are still able to grab public transportation and meet us wherever we're going, right? And they don't need extra care. So you plan differently. The same is with us. That's what Paul is saying. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone where you think that there is no one else who's being harmed by your actions. Now the new life has begun. So coming to verse 18 and closing, he emphasizes that all of this is actually a gift. It is not in you who's listening to me and in me as Celeste to do these actions unless Jesus empowers us. Unless we are submitted to his spirit at work in us because it's again, it's counter nature. It's counter nature. I was having a conversation with one of my brothers and he told me like the situation was kind of similar at our workplaces and he told me how he approached his situation and I just felt like I can't do it, right? Even when he was saying it, he said, well, what I'm going to tell you is counter nature. I loved how he used that sentence. He said, it's counter nature. It's against who you are right? It's because there is another nature he has seen. And he's like, it's against who you've chosen to be. You know, he's like, if they had met you back then, you would be able to do this. But now it's counter nature. He can see that there is a completely different nature that has enveloped me, that my choices are not necessarily my own alone anymore. It's not that they don't harm anybody anymore. They harm even me. Because if I stay in a state of, oh, why did I do that? You know, conviction hurts. Conviction is painful. We are lucky that ours ends in repentance and our joy is restored, but conviction is painful. Conviction hurts while it's happening, while you're being corrected. So the young man tells me it's counter nature. So I can't even give you the advice on what to do my way because it's against the nature that you operate by. And he says that all of this is actually a gift. It can only be a gift because God has enabled us to have that so that people may continue to be reconciled through Christ by the fruit that those who are already on the inside bear, now causing the outsider to want in. That's how we convince people to receive Jesus. That's how we entrust them in that prospect. That's how we draw them. That's how we 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 instill or we how how can I put it? We stir their curiosity to know this thing that causes us to be the way we are. And the people who want nothing to do with it are the people who will tell you they're the people who will tell you you've lost your mind, you're besides yourself. And yes, you are definitely right. Because <clears throat> the King James Version of the same scripture says, if we be beside ourselves, it is for Christ. And if we be in our mind, that is, if we are doing what seems logical to you, we are just being ourselves. But if we be beside for ourselves, it's for Christ. If we be in our mind, it's for your sake. If I don't share my craziest faith actions, it's because I know you can't understand it. So I stay in the realm where you can understand until I can draw you closer and closer to the crazy faith realm. Then I start telling you, this is how I do it. This is how 
uh, I see life. This is how I interpreted it. So to continue to close this conversation i hope you've been blessed and you understand what i'm saying and you take time to meditate upon it paul closes us on the close that says we are christ's ambassadors now we are representative of christ right and he is making his appeal through us he is showing these deeds this transformed lifestyle the counter nature my one of my brothers was talking about He's making it appear through us. He's doing his appeal. He's presenting it to the one who doesn't have it. And he says, this is what serving me looks like. This is what loving me looks like. This is why these people look like they're going through it, but they have a joy you can't explain. This is why you walk in a church for the first time and these people embrace you. They don't know you. They speak to you. They want to take your number. They want to speak to you. They want to reach out to you. And that looks too good to be true. This is the reason. This is the thing that's at work in them. And he says, we speak for Christ when we plead. Come back to God. That's the NLT version. Come back to God. We are speaking for Christ. We are not speaking for ourselves. Trust me in my flesh, in my human nature. There's nothing in me that would want to waste my time, that would want to sit and convince and convince, and then you change your mind tomorrow, and I start to preach the gospel again, and I spend hours studying so that I can have something that you will connect to and feel like God is listening to you. Put myself through that emotionally, financially, spiritually. Like, I have to apply myself to this. There's nothing in me that would desire to go this extra mile, much less for a stranger, let alone my own brother or sister. But God says, we plead for him. That life, that thing in me that doesn't want to do it is put to death daily. And I'm like... This is too good for me to contain it for myself. This is too good for me to keep quiet. Paul says, woe is me if I don't preach this gospel. Like, I would die before I refuse to share with you the goodness of God. Let's pray. Father, we bless your name. We thank you for this word. And we thank you that it's touching the hearts of whoever listens to it. And that it will land on fertile ground. And that whoever receives it will be transformed by it and will hold even in their own hands the result and the fruit of that conviction you've placed in their hearts. I know you've already spoken, you've gone ahead of me, and you have readied the ground so that this seed will grow. I thank you, Lord, for the testimonies that will arise even from this episode and the continued personal relationship and the way your spirit teaches each one of us according to our needs that it will do as you have said it. Your word tells us that it never comes out and returns back to you void without accomplishing what you've sent it for. I give you praise for every man and woman who's hearing me today that, Lord, they will be impressed to locate the person who needs to hear this and to share it with them and to be a minister themselves because there are no copyrights in the spirit there is nothing that is so good that you have not given to us out of sheer mercy and your kindness that we may also give it unto others and compel them to come back to their lord and savior i thank you that you hear me when i pray i bless every single one who is listening to me that they know they're more than 
and conquerors, that they pray from victory, that you've gone ahead of them and you've settled all things right, cause those who are to work for them right and enable them to see and locate those to whom they will show kindness. It is so and it cannot be otherwise. We are blessed in their coming in and in their going out to the glory of your precious name. We love you. We give you praise and we give you thanks in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. See you sometime next week. You are blessed.